Hello everybody and welcome. The Travel Addict is back with you, also known as Malcolm Teasdale. Thanks for joining me today. I have a story to tell you, actually. It's about an adventure trip I took a few years ago. If you want to add something to your bucket list, this could well be the trip of a lifetime for you. It's about the country of Bhutan. And you may be thinking, Bhutan, what is that? Well, that's the question many people asked me when I told them I was going there. Yes, it is a country. It's in fact a landlocked country in the Himalayas. It's very close to countries of India, Nepal, and China, just to give you an idea. So get the map out, take a look, and uh, you'll see where its location is. It's not easily accessible, but I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about getting there, what there is to see, and how to plan a trip of a lifetime. Information about Bhutan before we get into the trip. Before you start getting on the internet and going on to a travel or airline websites, be aware that you cannot just book a ticket to go there on an airline or book a hotel. You just can't do that. You have to go by a licensed travel company. And when I say licensed, licensed by the government of Bhutan. The thing about the country is they don't let too many visitors in there. It's getting better today. But they've been cut off from the rest of the world for centuries. They're coming around to our way of thinking, but they're doing it on their own terms. They're doing it a little bit by little bit. So to be able to go there, you need to contact a travel company that specializes in fixing up with everything you need to go to Bhutan. As I mentioned, hotel and air to get there. Now, I chose a company called the Travel Club or the Bhutan Travel Club. It turned out to be excellent. Now, the, this process seems to be more difficult than it really is, but actually it's quite easy to do. So I contacted the travel club and we had an email dialogue going for some time. Basically, they got me a flight from the city of Bangkok on Druk Air, D-R-U-K, Druk Air, to go to Paro, Bhutan. A hotel room at the Gangti Palace Hotel in Aparo. I was all set to go. It was as easy as that. I paid my money to them by a wire transfer and I was all set to go. I was in Asia at the time anyway, so it was sort of easy for me to get there. So anyway, I turned up at Bangkok Airport, looked around for the Drug Air check in desk, and it was difficult to find. As you can imagine, Drug Air is an unknown airline. And they have a fleet of four planes. So the check-in desk was sort of hidden in the corner of the departure area at Bangkok Airport. Anyway, I tracked them down and uh, checked in. All was good. And I just went to the gate and just waited for the plane. Now, I will say this time, my preparations for the trip, because I was going in the month of April, and I was, in fact, going to the Himalayan mountains, not too high up, but I was going into a sort of a cold region, I did take thermal underwear with me and some warmer clothes. Having a suitcase, I took a backpack with me, and that was all I needed. I was all set to go. Anyway, waiting the gate there, there was a bit of a delay due to inclement weather. The flight wasn't a direct one to Paro in Bhutan. It went via the city of Gaya, G-A-Y-A, in India, to drop off some passengers en route and collect a couple. 
for the journey to Paro. Collectively, it was about a three and a half hour plane ride. And as we approached the airport of Paro, I could see outside the left side of the aircraft, in the distance, Mount Everest, interestingly enough, peeking above the clouds. But as we started our descent, I thought, we're pretty close to the ground here. I saw particular trees. I thought, are we going to touch these trees? Anyway, it was a bit unnerving, but we touched down, pilot slammed on the brakes, and then we grounded to a halt, and that was the end of the flight. What I found out later is that Paro is the most difficult airport in the world in which to land a plane. No other airline, foreign airline, is allowed to land in the country. Bhutan has two airlines, Drop, and I can't remember the other one, but they're both owned by the government. Anyway, Drop Airlines only has four planes on its fleet. The pilots are very, I would say, skilled because they have to be. And I tell you this story because it's important. One year, not too long ago actually, Prime Minister Modi from India was paying a visit to see the king of Bhutan. What had to happen is the Indian pilots had to be trained by the Bhutanese pilots how to land at Paro Airport. So obviously they didn't crash and burn, interestingly enough. But the skill set involved in landing a plane at Paro is known by so very few. And that's one of the reasons why no other airline flies into that particular airport. They probably wouldn't get permission anyway because of sort of the government keeps sort of the lid on tourism there. They just don't want too many people visiting a year. And in fact, they do restrict it to X amount. I don't know exactly how many. It's increasing a little bit by year. However, they will grow in tourism at their own pace, which is really important to them. I went outside and they're waiting for me with two representatives from the Bhutan Travel Club. They took me to my hotel because I needed the rest, of course, in preparation for the next day of climbing up to Tiger's Nest Monastery. Prior to this trip, I made a point of going to the gym four or five times a week for the three months preceding this trip so I could be in decent physical shape to make the climb really important. Okay, well, I checked into the hotel. It was old Bhutanese building, very, very nice. I had to climb up some concrete stairs to my room without a handrail. It was a bit tricky. If I had a few beers, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. But anyway, I survived that, checked in the room, and made sure I got a good night's sleep in preparation for an early start the next day. I didn't do much that first evening because I wanted a good night's sleep. So I just went to the restaurant, had a bite to eat, and went to bed and got a really good night's sleep. Early in the morning, the travel club gentleman came to pick me up at the hotel and we drove to the base of the mountain where Tiger's Nest was situated. We started our trek. Now, this was a walking thing. We could have taken horses, but that would have been, in my mind, cheating. Some people did take a horse. However, I was told that these horses are unreliable and temperamental. If you do something like kick them in the backside, they're likely to throw you off. Well, I didn't want anything like that. Anyway, we started walking. All in all, it was about a three and a half hour trek, climbing over rocks, but quite steep at some times, and the path towards the top started to get very narrow. Before I arrived there, there was a Thai woman who was on the narrow path, and she started to position herself for a photograph. She sort of pushed herself back a little bit too much, and she fell over the edge. It's not survivable, basically. It took an emergency crew several hours 
to find a body. So you have to be cognizant of that. The higher up you go, the paths are narrower. It goes, wraps itself around the mountainside. So you've got to be aware of that. So keep towards the inside of the path. All in all, it was safe. And I felt safe with my guide, whose name was Whitey. He did have a, a local name, but it was unpronounceable because it had about 100 characters in it. <laughs> anyway, Whitey was good. So I followed him and we got to within sight, seeing distance on the same level as Tiger's Nest Monastery. Awesome sight. Had one bridge to cross which was probably uh, about 100 or 200 feet, nothing more than that. And we had a bit more climbing to do, but it was fairly easy for this point. Now, before we could go into the monastery complex, we had to take off our shoes. We could keep our socks on, but we had to check in our video cameras and our photo cameras because it was forbidden. I can understand that. Many sacred places in the world have the same rules. You do not, or they do not want you to take in any video equipment at all. Anyway, a little bit of history about the place. The monastery, its proper name is Takstang Monastery. It's being given the name of Tiger's Nest Monastery because of this. The great Buddha flew in to Bhutan on the back of a tigress. A tigress, yes. He landed at the monastery because he wanted to visit it for some reason. I don't know the real reason. And because of that, the tigress was kept at this monastery and the name in future was given Tiger's Nest Monastery. However, he didn't really introduce Buddhism to Bhutan. It was a gentleman by the name of Guru Pasmasambhava and he brought Buddhism to the country of Bhutan. And what he did was he meditated at Tiger's Nest, I would believe, for three years, three months, three weeks, three days, and three hours. Now, you need a lot of discipline to do this. The people were taken aback by it, but they were very heavily influenced by this. And to have the discipline to do something like this is quite incredible. This monk, guru, I'm not going to say his name again, introduced Buddhism to Bhutan, and Bhutan is very religious today. It is steeped in religion, in fact and they follow Buddhism. And that's basically the story of uh, Tiger's Nest Monastery and Buddhism. Okay, next step, we walk into the complex. Now, even today, monks live there. Not many, a lot of temples in Bhutan, monks live on the premise. Same with Tiger's Nest, they live high up in this monastery. I don't know how many lived there at the time, I went maybe 30 or so. We didn't get to see where they lived or where the kitchen facilities were or the dining room. We got to see, though, some of the temples in the place and the meditation rooms, which were absolutely quite stunning. My first question was, how on earth did anyone have the skill set to build this on the side of a rock face? It looked impossible. Whitey explained it to me, and I was still amazed by it. All you've got to do, he said, is go onto Google, search for Tiger's Nest Monastery, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Anyway, the highlight of the trip when Whitey said to me, let's go and meditate. And I said, well, okay. But my thought about meditating was that you have to sit cross legs, sit straight up, and just think about stuff. And I physically can't do that. I'm a bit older now, so I can't really sit upright with my legs crossed and go into a passive state. He basically said to me, said, Malcolm, just go in and get yourself in a comfortable posture and just let your mind relax. 
Funny thing is, I had just climbed up to Tiger's Nest Monastery, this fantastic thing I just did, I had an adrenaline rush. So I was very active. I don't know how I was going to actually relax. Anyway, we went in the meditation room, just me and him, and we sat down all in a comfortable position and I had this feeling, this feeling of emptiness immediately. This adrenaline rush was completely gone out of my brain cells. I was totally at peace with myself, this feeling of emptiness. I have never, ever been in a place like it before in my life. There was definitely something spiritual about it. Something did enter my head, and it was about me growing up and me spending time with my parents, which was a very special moment, and that came back to me. I don't know what triggered that, but anyway, the whole experience, we were in there about 30 minutes, was quite incredible. It was time to leave, and that was sad. But we had to leave because we had to descend to the bottom. We didn't want to be on the mountain when darkness fell. That would have been dangerous. Started our trip back down the mountain, and it took about, I say, three and a half to four hours. Actually, going down was a little bit more challenging than climbing, funnily enough. Anyway, we were about two hours into the descent when Whitey shouted, Malcolm, Malcolm, get to the inside of the path. Oh, so I did. And a horse galloped by. What happened here is the horses that are used to transport some of the people up, they're quite unstable. They can't handle stress or they become rattled, especially if the riders sort of kick them in the side to say, please move a bit faster. Anyway, that's exactly what happened here. The horse tossed one of the passengers and started galloping down the footpath. Luckily, we got out of the way in time because getting in the way of one of these horses, it could have just sort of booked you over the side of the path in the wrong direction, and that would have been it. The fall is not survivable. But we did survive that. Anyway, we, we made it back down. Then they took me back to the hotel for a good night's rest. Quite extraordinary that was. As I said, I've never experienced anything like that before in my life. I'm going to do it again, I think. I think I'm going to do it in April in 2021. Hopefully, we will have the ability to travel at that time. We'll just have to wait and see. The next day, we took the drive, very pleasant drive, to the capital of Bhutan. There's a city called Thimphu, T-H-I-M-P-H-U. It is the capital, and I checked into the Riverview Hotel. It overlooked a river, of course, but it did overlook a football stadium, or I should say a soccer stadium there. This was going to be the venue for the next day's celebration, the celebration of the king's birthday. Yes, I timed this trip perfectly. So I checked into the Riverview Hotel and I wanted to see the view outside. So I stepped out onto my balcony. I got my camera out and started filming the area, took a few pictures and then walked back inside my room. The phone rang and whoever spoke to me said, Mr. Teasdale, please do not go out on the balcony and take pictures. We have security all around the place because of the preparations for the king's birthday celebrations tomorrow. And of course, that may have looked like someone checking the place out to commit a crime or something. I don't know if that's possible because the country is relatively crime-free, so it's highly unlikely, but they didn't want me doing it. So of course, I did obey that. And obviously, I didn't want anyone from Bhutan calling my relatives back home to try and explain what had happened to their relative, Malcolm Teasdale, while he was in the country of Bhutan. It was early line again, had to rest, because we were going to a big celebration the next day. It happens once a year. I was picked up at the hotel about 10 o'clock, 
and we went to the stadium. It was getting full there when we went. The celebrations didn't start till noontime, but we found a seat. It looked like I was the only foreigner there, but that's all right. I have no problem with that. So everyone seated around me was a local. I was a novelty, basically. Everyone wanted their photograph taken with me. Hey, who's the guy over there? It doesn't look like it's from around here. So let's have our picture taken with him. Anyway, it was fairly cute. I got to talk to quite a few of them. It was approaching noon. I looked around. The stadium was full. They had the military there. The Bhutanese military is not large. If anyone, though, decided to attack the country of Bhutan, there's no need to worry because there's one country fairly close by that will come by and help immediately, and that's the country of India. The Bhutanese military is there, of course. So were the rest of the stadium packed with residents. Now, all the celebrations were actually performed by musical bands, uh, high school children, college kids, etc., just marching in parades. Now, unfortunately, the king could not make the birthday celebrations because he was visiting the area of Bhutan where they just had a forest fire and it destroyed many homes. So he went down there to reassure the residents that the country would take care of them. In his place, the prime minister came, made the speech and all that. So everything went through well. And then the highlight of the afternoon, well, it was all a highlight, to be honest, was at the end, there was a bullfight and a wrestling competition. Now, funnily enough, this was a bullfight without bulls. It was a bullfight between two men impersonating bulls. And after that was over, uh, they had a wrestling competition. Anyway, they always Buddhist after the, the wrestling competition. Then came the Iron Man competition, which was quite strange, but that was probably the highlight, if any. People wanted to see who the Iron Man was for the year in the country of Bhutan. We spent a number of hours there. Um, we exited and went back to the hotel, had a chance to walk around the city, which was beautiful, actually. Just a place of serenity, just peaceful. The people were friendly, and they were obviously happy. And they said about Bhutan, it's the happiest place on earth. And you could understand it just by looking around and see the people that just enjoy living there. Anyway, the next day, on our way back to Paro, we drove around the roads and the mountain roads, which was sort of scary because there was no tunnels there, but the roads go around the exterior of the mountain. So on one side, there was the wall going up to a higher elevation. On the other side of the road, uh, there was a steep drop. So my worry was that rocks would come cobbling down and push our car over the edge, which, of course, would have been bad. We survived that trip. I did get to see a few gentlemen playing the game of darts. Now, it's not darts like a dartboard in a British pub or anything like that. It's darts, a large dart, and people throw them like javelins about 100 feet into a small target on the ground. That's their version of darts. It's a pastime, and that was derived from the sport of archery, which is, in fact, the national sport of Bhutan. These guys are expert at it. I watched them, and it looked very difficult to do, actually, but they were so accurate when they threw these darts. It's quite unbelievable, really. Anyway, watched that for a while, and then we got back to Paro and did a bit more sightseeing of some temples and a couple of monasteries. It was getting close towards the end of our trip, actually, or my trip, I should say. So I went back to the hotel, enjoyed a wonderful night at the hotel. I walked around Paro for a bit. There was nothing much going on. There were a couple of restaurants, but there was no bars, no pubs per se. That didn't bother me at all. And then uh, made preparation to go to the airport the next day. So I was picked up by Whitey and the driver. They took me to the airport. 
And then I took the flight out to Bangkok. And it was about a three-hour flight. Again, we stopped at the city of Gaya on the way to drop off and pick up passengers. And we were back in Bangkok. So I could go for a night on the town in the bustling and sort of naughty city of Bangkok, which is indeed quite the contrast to Paro or Thimpu of Bhutan. But I always look back on Bhutan as one of the greatest adventures I've ever taken in my life, all because I looked at the Internet and found a picture of Tiger's Nest Monastery in the country of Bhutan. And I said, I got to climb up there and I did do it. So, folks. This was an adventure trip that not many people have done or even think about doing. But if you've got an ounce of adventure in your body, this is something for you to consider. I'm not saying just go to Bhutan and come back again. However, you can actually tour around Asia. You can go to nearby countries. You can go to Nepal, Singapore, Malaysia or Thailand and enjoy the sights there before or after. But spend at least three days in Bhutan. And I intend to go back there, hopefully in 2021, like I mentioned before, and spend time in a luxury hotel there and just relax and chill out and be at peace to get away from the hustle and bustle of normal life back in the United States. That's where my mind's at. Hopefully I can accomplish that. Okay, folks, that's the end of this little description of my adventure to Bhutan. There'll be more coming in the future. I look forward to talking with you soon. But for now, it's goodbye from the Travel Addicts, Malcolm Teasdale. Please check me out at malcolmjteasdale.com. And if you want more of a description of this trip uh, to Bhutan, there's a chapter in one of my books called Keeping It Sacred in Bhutan. It's in the book called The Midlife Crisis Continues. You can find it on Amazon, but go to my website. There's more about it there. It gives you all the different chapters. tells you a brief description of each chapter. Then if you're interested, just click on the link or take it to Amazon, and then you can try it out, ebook or paperback, whatever you want. Hopefully you do it, and thanks again for joining me. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.